0: Welcome to the Dad's Group podcast. My name is Bernsey.
1: and I am Blair. Dad's Group is about helping fathers and helping families. And what we aim to do on this podcast is bring you conversations that will build up your fathering and support the growth of your family. That's right. It's just—it's it, right. It's it what is we do. Right. It's it what we right. do. And we haven't
0: done this part for a while we now, as we're a bit rusty.
1: We're changing our intro because we realize we talk too much, so we're trying to keep it short it, and sweet. That's it, <laughs> Well, that's good. And but I'll make it longer again. That's <laughs> right, I know. That's a gift and a curse. Um, but, Bernsie, I'm going to straight, go straight up, mate, and just ask you who have we got on this week?
0: Yeah, we've got a parenting expert named Michael Gross.
1: Fantastic. Tell us about him. What's, why is he a parenting expert?
0: Yeah, so Michael has, has covered a whole bunch of different stuff in terms of parenting and families, but what really stuck out to me was he's written the book all about birth order so basically where in your family or in your group of siblings do you come so you know Blair I know that you've got siblings yeah yeah I got one yeah you got one and then you've got four kids
1: yeah yeah, I got them too
0: (laughs) so all of that affects or factors into um so with you and your sibling that factors into your personality development but then also with your kids now um where they come in the family affects how they relate to your family, and so as a parent, how do you navigate that and how do you manage that?
1: Yeah, cool. Okay, so why should our listener tune into this episode? Yeah, look, I think
0: for our listeners, what is really, I guess, important about this is that you know when when you do have multiple kids, they all have different needs, mm. but then you also have this need of like, how do you get to the end of the day without having to like meet every individual need. So yeah. if you have this understanding of all of these different things that impact on their personality and how they respond within the family unit, you're going to be able to respond to them in a way that builds up the family and not just meeting each individual.
1: Oh, that's perfect, man. Again, having four kids, that's that's actually sounds really, really cool. I'm really excited for this one. Uh, but what's one thing that uh, stood out to you in this interview?
0: Yeah, so I think... We we touched on resilience, Mm -hmm. and and you know particularly when you've got a lot of kids, there's a little bit of okay, kid, you're going to need to fend for yourself now, Um, and and Michael talked about resilience really begins with resourcefulness, and and. You build resilience in a child by encouraging them to be resourceful, to, to seek out their own answers and solutions, you know, obviously in a safe and facilitated, you know, sort of way. And I thought that that was a really great insight that resilience really begins with resourcefulness.
1: Fantastic. Great. Well, you guys enjoy Michael, a parenting expert.
2: Well, good morning and welcome to the Dance Group podcast, Michael Gross. Thanks very much, Adam. Um, uh, I know it sounds trite, but I'm really pleased to be here. Yeah,
0: we're really glad to have you. Uh we we like to start with a check-in. So I'll ask you, how are you going out of 10 today?
2: Today, nine. Uh actually most days nine as well. So. Yeah, yeah. Now, if we we're gonna unpack that, it's Friday. <laughs> oh,
1: that
2: always it's helps. Always a good day. And I live by the beach, and so I've had a had a walk and um I'm gonna go for a swim after this. And lifestyle, sort of age-wise as well. So, um, you know, a lot of the stresses have gone. So, you know, nine's nine's a good score and it's probably um, the score I tend to get a fair bit these days, which is a nice thing.
0: Yeah, great. Awesome. Awesome. Let's, uh, for for our listeners who haven't come across your work before, could you maybe introduce yourself, uh, your family, your
2: work? Okay. I'm... Melbourne based. I'm a speaker by trade. Sorry, I should say I'm a teacher by trade. So I used to be a teacher. Yeah. Uh, And about 30 years ago, I moved from um, teaching. I left the education department and I moved into the parenting area working uh, for myself in in the early 90s, which was uh, quite a leap. And one of the reasons I made that leap was that um, I did a Masters of Education to improve my. Sort of chances of getting promotion in the education department and that was yeah. what actually took me out of of um, teaching um I went down a parenting education track um there's a story there which is won't go into that but it just turned out that uh there was parenting education offered at, uh, through my master's so I sort of specialized in that and I turned my research into a book which uh did pretty well um and then I thought I'd make the big leap from teaching into working for yourself, which is was an interesting, um, interesting thing to do. Very fortunately, the, um, it was about the time the internet started to explode. So, or started to, so I was sort of early in into that sort of internet type um field. So I grew as the internet grew. so was you know, timing is everything. So timing was, was has been really good. So that's sort of the work-wise. I've sort of worked as a as a speaker. So I set my business up as a as um, a professional speaking business. So I've been fortunate enough to give a lot of presentations around Australia, and also we set our business up in England. So I spent a bit of time in in England, three or four um, October's and November's in England uh, presenting, and that was a, a lovely thing to do. Um, I sold my business. In 2020, and now I've sort of moved into a more a writing business as well. So um family-wise, I've got three kids, they're all in their 30s. So well and truly left the nest. So um, you know, one's 39, the other one's 37 and 35 and my 39 year old lives in Sweden so he's been bringing up his kids in Sweden for the last 5 years so um apart from covid we sort of make a sojourn over to to Europe and Sweden every October November so which which is good and i've got a swedish granddaughter who doesn't speak english so which is which is pretty bizarre so um so the three kids are all all have partners all have their own families so we've got seven grandchildren uh, this morning I we woke up and uh, met one of my grandchildren on online. Well, he's turned eight today, so we did the old birthday thing online, which was which was a bit of fun. So um, I work about three days a week at the moment. Um, the rest of the time is when you get to my sort of age and stage of development, you health becomes number one. So it's probably my number one priority at the moment. But I. Still work. Um, I don't like the word retirement. People say you retirement business. So I love to write. So I've, <laughs> I've set up a a um, a parenting toolbox uh, through Substack, which is I've got a regular newsletter, which i have sort of just been launching, which is which is fun. And I also, which has been a passion project of mine. I have a, a, a young leaders program, which is an online type program, which schools use to train their primary school kids. So we've got about 110 schools who, who are signed up to that. So um, and I that's the sort of return to my roots. It's sort of nice when you get to my stage of life, yeah. where you can, I started off as a primary teacher, now I sort of ended up doing some work in that primary school I, I stage as well. So. That might have been a bit of a rambling speech. No. But essentially, um, essentially, I'm a, an educator, a, a primary teacher, and I'm in the sort of parenting space. And I think it's important whenever you sort of look at someone in the parenting space, I always advise people, look at their background because that will tell you what you're going to get. So mm-hmm. my colleague, yeah. bit off is a psychologist by by training, so you tend to get that, that um, aspect from him. Uh, and I am a teacher by trade, so I like to sort of tell people what to do and give lots of information, more informational rather than thera- therapeutic as well. Yeah, yeah that's a, a snapshot. Yeah, definitely.
0: Well, well, no one can criticise you for being um, <laughs> being lazy or anything like that because you certainly are living a full life by the sounds of things. And, and a lot of our dads being new and expecting dads, I think they'll sort of hear um, – you being on, on the other side of things with, with three grown children and, and um, we, we sort of see you as the promised land, um, you know, of, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> working on passion projects because you can, not because you have to, yeah. and you know. Um, so, yes, I, I, I'm very, very excited
2: to sort of hear, have you tell me what to do myself as a, yeah, it's, <laughs> a new uh, it's, uh, it's strange when you get to the stage because it is a little bit like the other side. I, I do agree with that. And I remember, um, I used to, you know, I, I hit full on, full on edge uh parenting quite early when my kids were young. So I managed to pick up, uh, uh, a, a column for News Limited in 1994. So my eldest was sort of, um, was 10 at the time. And, I uh, that quickly led me on to, so I used to write once a week and, uh, on all sorts of parenting topics and quickly led me into adolescence. So I was talking about adolescence before my kids became adolescents. and I was a bit nervous about that. I used to go out and go, oh, I think that's right. Uh, <laughs> and then once my kids sort of moved into adolescence and out of adolescence, um, I felt a lot more confident. But interestingly, by, you know, you're looking back and you realise what, what works, what doesn't um, as well. So I guess that's what wisdom's about, actually. And mm. it's it's um having that perspective of a personal perspective and also having a perspective um more professional perspective as well. So the industry and I do call it an industry, that yeah. industry. when I started out there wasn't much at all. Now it's um there's mummy bloggers everywhere. Um and I don't mean that in a demeaning way, but there's no, a, there And so it is an industry in, in some ways, uh, which which is really good. And I've noticed that people who are p- parents are hungry for information, and there's a number of reasons for, for that. And that's been a, a, an absolute transformation in, the, in my 30 years of working this because when I began in the 1990s, if you turned up to a parenting um, seminar or presentation, it was thought that you were a poor parent you are struggling. So you want information, you know, you, you need help. Whereas now, um, you know, and this is a really positive thing. Most people who are into sort of reading books, you know, listening to podcasts, um, attend seminars or whatever, they want to, they're not they're not struggling so much. They want information, they want to be really good at what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, there's very much that notion of parenting is now part of your identity. That's as when we when it is part of your identity, you, you sort of want that full three hundred and sixty degree um, view of it. So it's matured as well as a, as an industry, which is which is fantastic. Yeah,
0: yeah, and and I think too, like I I think of uh, Justin Coulson's work, and he talks a lot about how that that parenting shift of you know you're not just the authoritarian presence anymore and that does demand a a higher level of of inputs and 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 i think that's what's really driving this as well
2: look it is yeah uh so what i it's interesting now i've started off my new parenting toolkit um and that's what i call a parenting toolkit yeah and it's taken me quite a while because i to 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 get it off the ground launch it i not because i have uh, not too sure what to write. I've actually started it, but now I've pulled back a little bit. And getting the positioning right is an interesting yeah. one. Because when I first began in the parenting industry, it was all about behavior. Yes. And I was I was really good at behavior management. Um I <laughs> became, a teacher. Yeah. And I was also, you know, my background was working in really difficult schools. Yeah and um and it was sort of just to go back a little bit just very quickly it was all of a sudden I moved into teaching when corporal punishment was gone but nothing re- replaced it yeah and so um i moved into a space in teaching where i used to help other teachers um work with kids um and i was working with difficult kids and then i I worked as a consultant for three or four years, my last three or four years with the education department, um, assisting teachers working with difficult kids. And it was essentially about um, how to communicate well with kids. So I was the guy who'd never tell the kids what to do. And I became known in the early days of parenting as don't tell kids what to do, tell them what you're going to do. So rather than come and you know, come and eat, come and eat, come and eat, and I go, no, I'm not going to do it, I don't want to, you actually say, I'm serving the meal now. There it is. So it's a subtle shift. So we did used to do lots of fun things like like that in the early days of, and essentially it's just improving your communication skills. Mm. And I think now it's again it's shifted incredibly to mental health's a huge issue, yes, and all those sorts of sorts of issues as well. So. Um, and I'm not sure sure I'm going with that little rage, so I might just pull back on
0: that. <laughs> I think um, it's interesting hearing about that development in the in the industry, as we're we're calling it. I, I wonder for yourself, do, you know, the whole art imitates life. How much did did what you were writing and and what you were presenting? How much did that come out of your parenting journey, or was it sort of reverse engineering and, and,
2: and you know, sort of informing what you were doing with your kids. No, that's a good point. Um, that's a, it's a really interesting one. I know, I um, always tried to separate myself from the kids. And yes. I mean, one of my, one of the interesting things was, was as my kids got really busy, so did I. So, and I used to joke when I used to go out and talk about it that, um, when I would give a parenting presentation at night and I'd say, I'm here talking about it. My wife's actually at home doing it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I was very fortunate that she's terrific with kids. She's a teacher by trade. She had a lot of kids in her own family. Um, and so she's really a natural with kids and she's a people person as well. Um, so I tried to separate my own parenting from the professional side. Yeah. Uh, so I wouldn't talk about my kids. To, to other people. Um, if I had a story about one of my kids, I would, would change the name. Mm. Or I'd say it was my neighbour. <laughs> I had a look at them, <laughs> the fence and I saw my neighbour with an eight-year-old and, boy, this was happening. Well, it was actually happening in my place. Yeah. So I was stories around around that. But I do have a philosophy about raising kids and that philosophy, which is a professional one, um, was and also fits in well with with how I feel, was also put into practice at home yeah so, um and so how do we separate the two? There was a professional side, yes, and but it wouldn't come across when I interacted with my kids. Of course, they got older when they moved into adolescence and beyond, it got quite tricky then because they understood what what I did. And so that came back to me sometimes as you know, don't give me that professional, you know. <laughs> so yeah, I was yeah, always yeah. very conscious of it um and one of my you know I was trained I did some training under a fellow called um Michael Grinder in the United States um on non-verbal communication and he had a he had a magic piece of advice to give me which was basically um location carries memory mm. so when you're, and I've written about about that a lot. So when you're at work, you are at work. So I have an office outside of, I used to have an office outside of my home. That's where all the work stuff took place. Um, And so when I'm at home, then the location, that's a family place. So we yeah. didn't talk about work. I didn't think about work. In actual fact, I would always used to take my, my, change my clothes when I'd come home into something else because yeah. that's a trigger. So I guess because of what I did, I had to. I needed some 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 triggers uh, as as well, um, so that the professional side didn't move over into the uh, into the the other side. It also yeah. works as, and I have this advice to to anybody. I go out, I used to go out four nights a week and, and speak, and you tell people what to do and blah, blah, blah. And I used to come home and then I could bring that persona home. And yeah. a lot of blokes do that. They bring yeah. their work persona home, you know, and you might be, you know, ting, ting, ting at work, and suddenly you're home talking the same way to your partner and your kids. Um, and that doesn't work. So, yeah. and so I think it's important then to actually go, right, leave that, let you know. I come home and I, I said to my wife, tell me what to do. <laughs> <And> I, <laughs> put it around because no. it's, otherwise things forget. So it's, it's called Spillover and I wrote a book and, again, this is me back into the professional side. Yeah. I wrote a book in 1999 called Working Parents. So I, I found out some really good things about um, the whole work-life work, work life space and I think they're still true today. And, and one of them was that... Um, the spillover the negative spillover between work and home is different for women than it is for men so when women had a hard stressful day at work they're more likely to leave it behind Mm -hmm. and come home and you know separate themselves parent in a positive way whereas men more likely to have a a hard day at work a stressful day at work they'll come home and they'll kick the cat yeah. <laughs> leave it behind unless you do something about that yeah. i think that's still true today In i still look at that and i and i think there's a a socialization thing there is uh, as well which um dads now are challenging which is fantastic and i see my son doing that yeah. which is the socialization aspect is that women have for centuries been the primary caregiver so and you know, dad's been the secondary caregiver.
0: Yeah.
2: And, you know, if you had a, my dad was very much, you know, a secondary caregiver is, was, um, you know, he wasn't, he was, he, His the involvement for him wasn't as much as involvement for me. Yeah. And involvement for for the current generation of dads is far greater than it was even for me. So I'm also starting to see a swap over where sometimes, for some time, dads will be the primary parent it might only be for a day, it might be for a week because your wife's really busy at work and whatever, and so, geez, I better take over now. And the primary parent is the one who calls the shots. Uh, um, you know, the, the one who says, right, you're going to do this today, you're going to do this today, kids, and by the way, um, I want you to go turn around to your partner, I want you, can you go and pick them up? And so um, that tends to be the difference between the primary and the and the secondary um, caregiver. But I, I think that's why women tend to be more um you know, they're socialized to be the primary caregivers and and to leave yeah. everything else behind. Yep, whereas yep. men aren't so much yeah, uh, yeah again, you can learn this sort of stuff as long as you're aware so that awareness is important yeah. um so yeah, uh, that's that's a and I, I think the third space concept is important for dads and that third space is, is to, to do something, to go somewhere, even if it's a mental space before coming in the door to say, right, I'm here, I'm at home now, you know, shake it all off. Um, you know, back, back in the day, back in my dad's day, it probably was go to the pub when it was yeah. <laughs> come home, which is probably not all that, not all that healthy either, but anyway. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I love that. It's, it's so practical. And, and um, we chatted with uh, Steve Bidoff, uh, who you referenced okay. before, and he, he's, he talked about very similar about like how do you, you know, get the cogs and the gears in time with what's happening at home um, if you've been the one out working and how do you bring that come back into the environment and, and readjust? And that third space I think is so crucial. And it is. Yeah. For dads, I, I wonder how much of that is the. You know, in a classic, I'll just push through, push through, push through, push through. Don't deal with it. Um, Just get get stuff done. And then by the time you get home, yeah, it all sort of, you're processing and you're releasing and you're doing all this stuff you probably should have done at
2: work <laughs> to deal yeah. with the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Look, it's a hard one. It depends on your, your personality type. I think yeah. It depends on what you do. I'm a um, I'm very, you know, sort of driven, conscientious type of person, so um on the you know personality tests some'm sort of high up on conscientiousness so it's you know, I didn't have the job finished at home and you know, finished by the time I go home I'd still have it in my head that's it yeah. so it's it's again it's all about a little bit about self-knowledge and about knowing yourself um but again one of the things I used to speak about and you know, I I I learned this concept when I wrote co-wrote a book called anxious kids with Dr. Jodie Richardson in about 2018-19 um, and it was a concept which we I talked about, I, I read about and talked about called living with discomfort.
0: Mm. Part
2: of the message to parents with with kids who are anxious is that you've got to help kids live with uncomfortable feelings and living with discomfort and one of the things I realised that that i would push myself so hard to get things finished because i didn't want to live with this that discomfort yeah. of not having it finished that means that i haven't finished that task and i go home and it's still in my head and i i'd and feel uncomfortable and i've uh, and i'm going to go revisit the next day and so i am gonna drive myself too hard so now that's the switch is now if i haven't finished it it's okay i feel a bit uncomfortable do something about it and and deal with it next day i reckon what the best piece of advice around that was i learned from um i heard on a on a podcast uh, from um renee brown renee brown i should say yeah. and it was she actually just said like, it was one of those things where you go oh wow, never thought of that um it was a term she said rest along the journey don't do the journey and rest at the end of it so yeah. so many people, you know, I've got a project to do. I'm going to push right through, and I'll have that holiday at the end of it. Yep. Or I'm going to work as hard as I possibly can today, and I'll have that beer at the end of it. Um, yeah. And I thought that was a lovely concept because that's what I do, and that's what a lot of people do. So you know, the antidote or the opposite of that is that take little breaks along the way, push the journey out a, a, a little bit, and you're a little bit you're, you're better off along the way. Um, so you know there are little you know there are different ways of going about things, but I think it does help to know what drives you as an individual because that impacts on your lifestyle and that also impacts on your parenting and how you interact with kids at home. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You've already
0: uh, shared with us so much insight from from your work, and we haven't even hit on <laughs> the work that um, that really. I guess fascinated me and, and why we reached out um, because you, you authored a book um, why firstborns rule the world and later want to change it, which I can see behind you there. I, I yeah. wonder, what, what was, I guess, the impetus for why you wanted to author this book? And I guess, what, what is it about that topic that has created so much
2: intrigue um, amongst readers? Oh, the second part of your question I'll answer first because we're actually talking about them. Everyone loves to know about themselves. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're all members of family. We're all um in a birth order of, of some sort. So yeah, yeah. Um, we all tend to relate it to ourselves, although it was originally intended as a as a parenting book, but um, we've broadened out than that uh, from that. So there is a, you know, there's an interest about it because it's personal. Um, so just very briefly, why birth order? Uh, my training in the parenting and the psychology areas around birth was was um, was included birth order. So just a, a quick recap: most of the psychology we've had, we've been under, has been sort of Freudian, which is um, you know more an individual type of thing. Um, I was brought up around, you know, as a teacher into the reward punishment. You know we reward the good behaviors and the more you reward good behaviors the more you'll get and you sort of yeah pick at the other behaviors and you'll sort of push it away. When I went and did my postgrad studies I um I chose a psychology called Adlerian psychology. So Alfred Adler and he was around at the same time as Freud and Adler said it's not about the individual, it's about the group. So um interestingly I I became an Adlerian um, family counselor during my time at the university because I, I was fortunate enough that they actually had a, a an Adlerian centre there, they set it up with we students. Um, so we uh, Adler basically said, um, the first group you belong to is your family, uh, you're motivated to belong to your groups. And so when we used to speak with, with parents, we wanted to find out what the family was. And so we would use birth order as um way into the family. So as a party trick, we would, you know, parents would often say, you know, I'm really worried about Joey. Well, where's Joey fitting the family? He's the second one. Well, tell us about Joey. And they'd say, Joey is, you know, he's struggling here, he's very loud, he's very this. And we'd often say, right, stop it there. Can I tell you about your first one? And the first one's inevitably opposite than the first or yeah. first and second is different. So um, I then did a a, a some study into uh, gay parents about about two hundred oh sorry about over two hundred parents um, about a hundred different behaviours etc. and I asked them to tell me which how their kids went according to birth order. So it sort of came out that firstborns are wonderful and a lot of the secondborns were pests and thirds are, all these patterns came emerged. Yeah. So um, I moved into the pairing area with that that as a background. And so I, I wrote a book called "My Firstborns Rule the World" and "Lastborns Want to Change It" in, two, in the year two thousand, because um, I was fascinated by that notion of birth order. So I spent a fair bit of time delving into it, and, uh, and then this I rewrote. The, I didn't rewrite the book. It, a new edition came out in two thousand and twenty-two, and I slightly changed the, the title. So instead of calling it "Lastborns." rule the world it's later born's rule the world yeah uh, so I, ch- I changed it slightly so always been a fascination about it and it's and i think it's something that we we underestimate um and one of the things i found interesting is that very few people know the birth order of their friends their their workmates their colleagues uh, we tend to as human beings we tend to make our and it's it's the way we're we're framed is that we'll look at someone, we'll make a whole bunch of decisions on very quickly on gender, race, age, and we go, oh tô, 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 tô. Uh, I've done that when I saw you. I've got a young boy, he mustn't you blah blah blah, all these decisions. And it's just quickly it's visible, and yeah. it makes our way of interacting easier. Um but birth order we don't know because it's not a visible thing so yeah. that's, it's an interesting way and we also have so many uh boundaries around interacting with each other that we don't walk up and someone's you know where do you fit in the family <laughs> you to know someone for quite a while to yeah. you understand that so it's not a piece of information that we readily use or carry around um and i think since i've put out why firstborns there's been quite a, a a lot a bit of information or research around which says the that birth order isn't as as influential on a person's personality as it has been made out, which I tend to agree with that birth order is impactful within the family. yeah okay. that's impactful outside the family. So, I think it's got to be careful to say that, you know, just because you're firstborn doesn't mean you're going to be a leader or you're going to be a, you know, a, a lawyer or whatever it is. Although law is more full of firstborns <laughs> yeah. than any other. Um, but it, where, it, where it has its power, so to speak, was it w- within the family? Yeah. So, I understand that within your family. Yeah. Um, so I'm happy to yeah. whisk through a few.
0: Yeah, let's let's do that because I think, it, it, I think that's where it's impactful within this context is because we are talking to families. So yeah. and, and particularly new families or growing, expanding families. So yeah, maybe let's start with like how does it factor into um the child's
2: development? All right, let's put it up. Let's let's put three different things. So so, firstly, when we look at child development or the child's development, there's three things I t- always look at. Um, yeah, we we know about the nature versus nurture. So, very very quickly, we know a, a child's born with you know there's genetic, there's imprint, um, and so you know they are born with different characteristics and different traits, which don't change all that much over time. Um, then. What you throw around it is what I call the family frame, and a family frame uh, is you can tell the family frame is uh, by what your kids have in common. So, a family frame is made up of your values as parents, you know, and your values are the things you nag your kids about, you, <laughs> you know, what you what you really focus on all the time. That's um, the it's your family atmosphere, you know. What's your atmosphere like? Is it light? Is it heavy? Is it blah blah blah? Um, and it's it's. Also, how you interact with your kids. So, and you can tell that by that's what your kids have in common. So, if we give an example of my three kids, they've got three things in common um, amongst lots of variations, but uh, the three things they come that in common, I believe, comes largely from the family frame, which is what we we my wife and I focused on. So, one is they're fiercely independent; they are very independent. individuals because that's what we've really focused on. So I had a 15-year-old second my daughter, 15-year-old daughter went over to um Denmark for 12 months on an exchange. Um, and we insisted that she drove that whole project because if you're going to live that long way away for that length of time, you need to need to sort of work hard at you know you, you need to be able to organize things. So she drove the whole thing. She gave us the paper, she said, Dad, you got to turn up to this blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so that's an example of the independent. They're all pretty independent. Secondly, they've got all got a high work ethic, which comes from observing me and my wife in in um, close up. And third, they're all social even the introverts and i'm an introvert (laughs) but we did a lot of things socially you know social is all important to us we have meals we have people around do all that sort of stuff and they are very social and they do things in very you know social ways they'll have breakfast and have people around etc so that's just an example of three so that's the family frame the commonalities between them all but in between you the, the genetics and temperament genetics and temperament and the family frame we have this individual, we have this space called birth order. And the birth order is explains the differences between your kids, the subtle differences. It's why your firstborn might be a perfectionist and the second one's more easygoing. It's why your firstborn might be loud. Uh, sorry, the, the quiet, serious one, and the second one is is more easygoing. It, it explains those differences. And basically it's it's um. Darwin's theory of, of, of survival and I'll explain that and it's simply the simple fact that a child comes into the into the world and when that first one comes into the world they're the focus of, of so much attention they get all the parents hopes and dreams all their attention and all their hang-ups um, and then Suddenly the second one comes along and we don't get the same sense as jollies with that second one. We are looking after the first one. Um, You know, I mean, when our second one came along, we got the first one out of the bedroom to make room for the second one. You know, mm-hmm. get out. She's in your bed sort of thing. And so when the second one comes into the world, what they actually are is a rival for attention and affection. And so we know, you know, this is universal. I see it in my and my grandkids at the moment where the first one spends a lot of their time letting the second one know they're not as good as they are. I took my, uh, two years ago, I have got three boys. My daughter has three boys, um, two years apart. I remember going to my uh, grandson's, school when he was in prep first year of school and I I went to his classroom and we went after school and before that we went to his younger brother's kindergarten and so we sort of spent a little bit of time with both of them after being in their ones in in their educational space and I'll never forget the eldest one about three times in a row said my school's bigger than yours isn't my school great and uh, we actually had to say yep you're not competing against each other, guys. You're both really good. But what he was saying is you won't be as good as me and you'll never be as big as me and don't you ever forget it. So what the second one tends to do is they'll go, right, you're really good at that. Look, mum and dad get their jollies out of the fact that you're really serious or I'm going to be the funnier one. And so it's Darwin's theory of survival where the species goes for their diff- their strengths and creates strengths to survive. And so that tends to be what happens with, with kids with birth order. Um, the, the simple fact that we, they'll go their own separate ways, even though it's very subtle. And birth order is more powerful the closer kids are and the more if they're in the same gender. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So my daughter has three boys, so you go on and have the third one. Um, and we tend to, as parents, relax and loosen up the more we have. Um, And so thirds get space. First, don't get much space between between parents um, and themselves. So that's why I call firstborns the family conservatives. Mm-hmm. That is, the firstborn is more likely to end up doing in the same field that their parents are, or doing the things their parents want. Not in every case, mm-hmm. but in a lot of cases. And so I look at Peter and Tim Costello, the yes. uh, the politician and the theologian and in actual fact in a family birth order sense peter even though he was in conservative politics is the radical yeah because he's the younger one tim is in life a more radical but in a birth order sense he's conservative because he became a baptist minister and his dad was a baptist minister yeah so tim's the eldest tim's the baptist he's followed his dad um, and his younger brother, uh, Peter, has has gone a different way family wise. Yeah. And so there's that aspect to it as as well. So firstborns tend to be lower risk takers. They tend to be more conservative. That's why I said earlier that often firstborns go into you know the firstborns a lot of firstborns in law, mm-hmm. uh, and that's because that type of job also suits. That type of personality, yeah. but also, too, that parents put a lot of resources, a lot of effort into their, to their firstborn. And yeah, law, good. And so, yeah. as you know, I want my son to be a lawyer, yeah, and parents and kids pick that up. So that's why firstborns live with pressure. Um, and as you move further down the family and have your third or your fourth or your fifth, the pressure's off because you've got, got one good one. And secondly, the fact is that the younger one will often outdo the rest of the family, but they'll often do it in a different way Mm. because, you know, I'm not going to be the lawyer, I'm going to be successful, but I'll be more entrepreneurial or or whatever. So um, there's that that sort of shift as well. The other aspect where birth order fits in also, there's two other aspects where, where it comes into play. Which is important to remember is that it's about parental experience. So with the first one, you're practicing on your first one, and by the time you get down to the younger one, um, you know what's important, what's not. So and and you tend to give they tend to have more freedom. That's the one more freedom. They do things a lot earlier, and also to this the other aspect about it is that. Every position you're you're born into requires something different of you and you're in a different social situation yourself. Yeah. I, again I'll go to my 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 daughter with the three boys. I see the youngest one who's only 3, he desperately wants to fit fit in. He just follows the way he does whatever yeah. the others do. He just wants to he just wants to 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 fit in. Um and he's the funny one. He does things to make them laugh. So he's already taking a little And he he uses cuteness. He gets away with murder because what what happens is that they'll be driving somewhere and the young one will make a noise or do something and the mum will and and the, the kids will say, just give him what he wants and shut him up. And my daughter actually says that he gets away with murder because the kids just, you know, he does. So they get more freedom um, and she she regrets even the fact that she was so tough on her firstborn. But that's the way it is. That's that's the way parenting goes. We tend to
1: yeah.
2: we, we tend to start off high and we loosen up and we realise what's important and what's not. That's it. The other thing which changes is that I think there's two parents in us. One is you've, you've got to be the parent of the group. And the other is you've got to be a parent individual. So yeah. parents often tell me, how do you, how do you cater between the two? How do you cater when you're, when you've got a firstborn who's who's more serious and um, doesn't need any rules or routines or boundaries because he sets them himself almost. And you've got a younger one who I've got to keep putting these rules in place, got to have these boundaries. In fact, I've got to give them, you know, it's, it's quite different. So, my response always to that is that it it takes you've got to you've got to, there's two sorts of parent. You've got to parent the gang. Um and parent the gang means that you do things to to pull kids together, but you also say, we're all gonna miss out on this, even because John, you know, the, the second one did something wrong, we're all gonna miss out. So you sort of pull them together. You've got to you gotta do things to 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 bind that group together. So that's what I say. So parenting is sometimes a group leadership thing. That's why family rituals are important. The traditions are important because you're pulling them to, to, together. The other aspect is, of course, sometimes you've actually got to parent the individual child. And so, when an individual child is struggling, you need to adapt your strategies or whatever it is for that particular child. So, um, we've gone down a path in some ways of individual parenting all the time, and to a, to a degree, we've forgotten that. That is there's also a gang we've got to draw together as well. And a gang can be, um, you know, two kids and and one parent. It doesn't have to be five or six kids.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I was going to comment on that. Do you think some of that, not gang mentality, but some of that idea of, of parenting as a gang as lost because families are small? And, and yeah, yeah. Look, there's
2: been a... a, a sh- We're very conscious now of what kids need. And that's... Yeah no doubt about that we're very conscious of, of, of what, what kids need and so it's the notion of I'm bringing up the kids which might have been pretty strong 30 years ago 40 years ago is not the same as it is now because we know kids have very different individual needs yeah. I mean I'll go to my other daughter as an example as she has two kids a seven and a four year old, one has um, been, is ADHD, um, behave, oh, sorry, concentration. And she needs really specific strategies, um, i.e., um, routine is vital for her. You know, um, she gets very, she needs to go to bed at a certain time. She needs to be spoken to differently. Uh, she needs one or two instructions at a time. And the younger one, four year old, one has um, is quite different. They're all very easygoing. She's quite, you know, learning wise, cetera, Quite artistic, etc. All the rest of it. So um, the, the strategies are different. However, some things aren't. So she can't. They, you know, from a common sense point of view, and this is where the group things comes in. From a co- common sense point of view, they both go to bed now at the same time. It's no point. Sarah saying to the seven year old, You've got to go to bed at seven. Yeah. Oh, and your younger one, you can go to bed at 7 30. No, you know, sometimes you, you know, and this is where if the younger one complains and says, It's not fair, I'll go, well, That's it. You know, yeah, done. That's what we do. <laughs> you know, sometimes we over explain things. So that's what I mean by there is a group thing and yeah. there's also individual things. So, yeah, so that's again um and that's a really good thing that we know more about kids we know that we know about uh, um we know that they have different needs they have different mental health needs but there's also they've got to fit in so i've always thought the prime job of parents is to socialize your kids mm. and socializing means that they fit into all the different groups and that and the requirements that the, that they go into so Parents who don't socialize their kids, well, let me put it another way. Um I've learned over a period of time the kids who have been well socialized, and this really stands out in adolescence. Um, really stand, you can actually see it with adolescence. So we all know the stereotypical 14, 15-year-old boy, because I was one of them, I raised <laughs> one of them, who would go into a group and say three or four words. Yeah. And everything would be yeah and grunt and all the rest of it. <laughs> and that's sort of the way. So they would behave at home the way they would behave with their friends. But the well-socialised kids would realise when they went around to grandma, they'd have to make a bit of an effort. They'd actually have to not go and grunt and all the rest of it. You might have to remind them, but they would go in and they would have a chat. Or there'd be a neighbour who'd walk past and... And they say, "G'day, Sam. How are you going?" And they go, "Good on it. Yeah, thanks very much. Great." And they lift their heads up and they make that effort because all the different groups you belong to all have different. You, know, you need to adjust to them.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So, family, some some kids have struggled to adjust to the different groups, and that's because go back in the early days they haven't been reminded that that there are different needs so when they were taken to the football or taken to a sporting event or whatever it is they were reminded no it's probably not a good idea to yell in front of the guy's face in front of you you know because you know you might be only five but we don't do that oh okay yeah. right I'll remember it for next time you know so that's what we do a lot of the time is is re- remind our kids to socialize our kids um and that's a really important to, thing to to do as 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 parents and it's hard work uh, particularly if you've got, you know, difficult kids or sometimes kids need to be reminded 14 different times, but it's often not at that time when it, the message sinks in. It's often later on. So, you know, we've all got kids who are, who are, um, well, boys, I, I reckon, are, a lot of boys are heuristic learners. They've got to learn from experience. Yeah. I keep telling them, telling them and telling them. So, yeah, anyway. Yeah. I, I really like the, the two
0: parents in us. I think that actually creates... Um, it's it's practical, but I think that creates a lot of space for parents to not feel like you have to make decisions about every single thing. Like, you know, mealtime, it's a single decision. This is what we're eating. And and you create those family values and cultures and norms around that, rather than, you know, um, sort of trying to accommodate every single um, child and every single, you know, difference and variation between your children. So I think that it, it's a really practical approach, and I think it's really good for for our dads to hear that. You know, not everything has to be individualized to each child.
2: Yeah, and that's that's the resilience message. I mean, we yeah. Yeah, thrown around a lot uh, the term resilience so these days, almost to the point that it doesn't have meaning. But. Um. Put it this way, and this is the teacher in me, and, again, I spent a lot of time in the education space with talking with teachers, and so this is a, an annoyance which a lot of primary teachers. teachers have, is that when things go wrong sometimes at school, we go up. Put it this way. When something went wrong at my, when I was growing up, I'd go home and tell my mum or dad, they'd just go, you know, suck it up, sunshine. What they were actually saying was, you're just. Yeah. You sort it out. You adjust. And, of course, parents didn't have the time back then to go and sort all this stuff out because they had bigger families. My mum had four kids and um, et cetera. So, um, and that wasn't such a bad thing because one of my learnings early on was if you want your kids to be resourceful, you've got to put them in positions to develop the resources. Yeah. So the old lunch, a lunch left at home um it speaks to you as a parent you got your eight-year-old leaves their lunch at home you look at it and you go oh geez, should i take it up should i not should i not and nine times out of ten parents will sort of sneak it up the other side of it is you know big he'll big bro i hope not steal and get a lunch he'll get by or get hungry so yeah. sometimes we so the, the point being about that resourcefulness is we've got to give kids a chance don't run in and rescue them unless it's completely serious yeah Still up. um as much as we possibly can. So as we've got smaller families, what we tend to do is make life easier for them and do too much. Mm. So my And that's a common sense thing. And it's easier when you've got small families. There's also messages around which says good parents do this for kids. Yeah. And it's yeah. a whole yeah. good parenting sort of message. And, again, this is a generational thing. This is not, no, no criticism. If I was to share this with you, your the guys listening to this might actually – um, appreciate it but just so it shows a story i would often tell a story in the in front of an audience in the 1990s which goes a little bit like this i'll shorten it which is if you're struggling to get your kids off to school in the morning getting them dressed well here's my advice i used to say um go and see the school tell them what happen, but rather than argue with them pick up their clothes pick them up put them in the car drive them to school give them a chance to get dressed in the in, in the car Um, And if they have to get out into, if not without breakfast, um, half-dressed and so forth to go to school and get out of that car and they're not all hunky-dory, so be it, it's their problem. And people go, yeah, good idea, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I would tell that story 10 years ago and I would get parents going, that's child abuse. I couldn't do that. There's no way, no, you're kidding, mate, sort of thing. Uh, and that's a that's a shows a, a almost a generational shift you in know. some. Um, you don't want to explain it all, and all the rest of people go, "Oh yeah, okay, I get what you mean." Yeah. What we're trying to do is shift the the problem away from because um, getting a kid to school off to school in the morning sometimes is a parent's problem, but to try and shift it over and put it on onto kids so i guess that's a sort of an example of how we shifted in some ways um to make life a little bit too easy for kids so my one-off and i'll finish off with this my one-off advice has always been raise your family of two as if you got six
0: <laughs> i like that i like that a lot i wonder how does birth order uh, for us as dads like does our birth order affect then how we raise our family. Like, I wonder, is there anything that suggests that older or younger siblings have a easier or harder time with parenting? Or, yeah, what what are some of the the ongoing ramifications? Because, as you yeah. say, it's within a bit of family. So, yeah,
2: that, that's that's a good that's a really good question. So, I want like to start off by actually saying that, um as a community, because children have shrunk. and we're having kids older, we're less child literate. Mm. So, and I've picked that up in in my time. So um, if I was bringing up, if I was a parent or you were a parent in India or a third world country, you would probably have your kids in late teens Mm. or early 20s you would probably be one of six and you know how kids tick yeah you're having kids in australia there's a reasonable chance you're having your kids in your 30s so it's been 12 years since you were at school you probably haven't mixed with kids at all mm-hmm. you might have an uncle you might have a sister or someone who's got some kids but you haven't spent a lot of time with kids and suddenly you have them you go bloody hell what do I do with them I haven't been around them and and so um and I make that statement because my wife when she had our first because she was the only girl in a family of five and she was the second eldest she had a lot of hands-on parenting yeah and her kids when she was 25 which was only about seven years and quite quite seriously the nurses apologised on the second day because she thought it was her third, not her second, her first. She knew how to put nappies on. She knew all that. She wasn't phased. Yeah. So we're, by the time we have our kids, uh, and so where's the birth order come into that? Well, if you're a firstborn and you've got some kids below you, you'll have some experience. Yeah. If you're the youngest, there's a reasonable chance you won't, so it's all completely new. Personality-wise, if you're a firstborn, there's a reasonable chance that you've got high expectations because you add high expectations on you. Yeah. You'll, you'll expect a lot of your kids. And if you're a dad and you're a firstborn, you'll expect a lot of your firstborn sons. So um, because the expectations are still higher on boys than they are on, on girls, and that's mm. not really um, And so my advice for you if you're a dad and you're the f- doesn't matter whether you're firstborn or whatever, but if you're dad and you've got a son, he's the firstborn, don't turn everything into a lesson because often dads do that. Yep. Loosen up, have some fun with them. Um, as you, if you haven't, if you're a, the youngest in the family, one of the things I've found that youngest dads in particular can sometimes struggle with the serious stuff of parenting. Yeah. Stuff and they're the fun guys, but they often don't like to be the bad guy. But they're the ones, you know, sometimes they'll inject a lot of fun in the family and their levity because, you know, I don't know. I reckon if you're in a family, if your partner is a firstborn, you're a firstborn. Oh, I reckon you'll have those kids signed up to, to um, private school in the womb. We've um, so, got to be, you know, careful of it, about that because one of the things we want in our family is lightness. So we want levity, you yeah, yeah, atmosphere. So I guess the point being is, is just step back and have a look at yourself, how you were parented, how the birth order aspect impacted on you. Look at your partner as well, um, because it does impact on on how you parent. Because the ghosts from the past are, are, are very strong. And we too tend to revert back to to, to our former self in some ways. Fails to have a one-off tip for every birth order position, which often people say uh, for dads is, I think for the first firstborn, um, is loosen up a bit, don't put too much pressure on kids. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't be the one to say, I want you to be the sports, or come on, got to do better and all the rest of it. Because they put a lot of pressure on themselves and often firstborns are low risk takers. They'll do well at the things which they get praised for. And if they're, but you know, have a go at a musical instrument oh, I'm not doing that because I'm no good at it. So um, that's the tip there. If you've got a second and a second means if you've got one in the middle of three or four, uh, what we do know is they spend less one-on-one time with their parents. So you've got to be a bit cunning sometimes. And with those kids, I believe that you need to say, come on, have spend some time with me, come down let's have a kick. So you've got to do that sort of, um, you've got to be conscious of that. And with Mm -hmm. the youngest one, they often get away with murder. So put some pressure (laughs) on them. Yeah. (laughs) So it's almost flipping the whole, Almost yeah, 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 and I, and I think there's a universal law which I I have not known this to be any different. If you're a dad and you've got a youngest and your daughter is the youngest in the family, they will have you wrapped around their little fingers for life, no doubt about that. Um, so it's it's an it's a funny one. So yeah, and again. I don't want people to take this too, too too seriously because there's lots of different dynamics going on, but it is one lens which you can look at your parenting through and it's one lens you can look at, at kids through as well. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, Michael, I appreciate your time so much this morning. You've shed a lot of light on uh, something that's, I guess we're, we're all part of families. And for those of us who who do come from, you know, multiple children, families, like we, as you say, like it is something that we we're interested in. So um thank you for demystifying it, for practicalizing it, um, if that's a, a phrase. Yeah. And um yeah, I, I think a lot of our dads have gained a lot from this, particularly I, I myself am an eldest child, uh, and my firstborn, my only born so far is is a boy. So that even just that last little bit has given me a lot to to work on uh, now uh, before
2: yeah, before yeah.
0: we have uh any further. Uh, so
2: yeah, yeah so I, I guess, know I, I, I know you're finishing, so I'll just sort of finish this off. I, I think that one of the sort of fascinating things around birth order is the simple fact that I think as a parent, if you've got more than one child, um, if you've got you've got a, a, a two two kids or more. I think one of your aims should be to get those kids binding together, um, yeah. siblings, because the sibling relationship will outlast the parent child relationship. Yeah. And siblings well, well, um, will influence each other. So, my biggest joy as a parent and is the fact that my kids, who are in their thirties now, are all have are all pretty close with each other, even though they're different. Uh, um, and they fought like cat and dogs. They don't focus on the fighting because uh, yeah. they do fight. Um, but you know, there's strategies around that, which we're not not going into that. But. Yeah. <laughs> Well, look at that relationship, and, and and build this sibling relationship, and that's why the whole notion of I really believe in parent the parent the gang, not the kids. Yeah, is important because to me success is is if you um, walk into and you've got three kids and you walk into this into the living room and you turn around and say who who, who hit who who what? they turn around and go well oh, not me not <laughs> and then they all be good. And yep, then you've yep. oh, got that covered. Then they walk out and go, "Oh, dickhead, it got in." <laughs> Almost like, but they're tied together, you know. Yeah. So that's that's what you want in some way. So uh, I think that's important. But anyway, yeah. um, it's been been a pleasure. It's been fun. Yeah. No, thank you, Michael. I Appreciate your time. All the best
1: awesome and we also want to thank our listener for tuning in today if you haven't already go check out our website at www.dadsgroup.org in this space we've got some awesome resources for support for families new and expecting families uh, there's a lot of mental health support there by some amazing organisations. On this website as well, you can also support Dad's Group through purchasing our merchandise or a solo donation would be amazing and help us impact the lives and, and uh, of, of new and affecting families all around Australia. But thank you guys so much for tuning in and we'll catch you next week. Cheers, guys.